Hello and welcome to Words of Wisdom, a podcast dedicated to reflecting on the wisdom of the Book of Proverbs. Your host is Dr. Jerry Weirwall, who will share life-giving truth from Proverbs that will help us become wise and discerning. Wisdom is a journey, and we hope you will join us for this exciting adventure. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 19 say, Drink water from your own cistern, and fresh water from the midst of your own well. Should your springs overflow outside, streams of water in the open places? Let them be for you alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be continually blessed, and rejoice because of the wife of your youth. She is a loving doe and a graceful mountain goat. Let her breasts satisfy you at every opportune time, going astray in her love. Up to this point, Solomon has been warning his son about the dangers and consequences of committing adultery. But here in this section, starting with verse 15, he now moves to a different strategy. His aim is now not to continue the stern prohibitions and scare tactics of depicting the consequences and worst-case outcomes, but rather to encourage the proper behavior and context for enjoying sexuality. In keeping with the euphemistic language and innuendos for sexuality in the biblical culture, Solomon employs well-known poetic imagery and metaphors to convey to his son how he should view proper sexuality in contrast to fulfilling one's desires with another woman. Referring back to verse 3 where Solomon warns his son not to be involved with the strange woman. First, Solomon tells his son, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from the midst of your own well. Drinking was a common reference to sexual pleasure in the biblical culture. A similar description appears in the Song of Songs, where it uses a horticultural metaphor and talks about drinking in terms of sexual intimacy. Song chapter 5 verse 1 says, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, friends. Drink. Yes, drink abundantly, beloved. The idea of drinking here, as it pertains to having sex, is not a difficult innuendo to perceive. There is a sexual thirst, much like when we drink a beverage to quench our thirst when we are dehydrated. Now, Solomon is calling his son's wife, in a figurative sense, a cistern and a well, and that Solomon's son should drink deeply from his own sources of water, meaning that he should enjoy the sexual pleasure that his wife offers him and that is his to have. In the same way that a cistern and a well are reservoirs or sources that provide water, the son's wife is a reservoir or source for sexual affection and pleasure that can fulfill the son's desire and satisfy his thirst. As Solomon continues the aquatic metaphor, he changes the terminology slightly in verse 16 by leaving behind the imagery of cisterns and wells and now starts talking about springs and streams of water. He rhetorically asks his son why his son would consider letting them flow outside into open places. It is not immediately clear what springs and streams of water refer to in the verse, 
probably the best interpretation would be that they refer to the son's sexual gratification with his wife. And thus Solomon is telling his son that he's not to take his desires and go outside his marriage, that is, outside his house into the public open places to find other women to satisfy him. His son is to be refreshed by the sexual affection and pleasure that he can have with his wife. The point that Solomon is trying to make is that sexual pleasure should be viewed like private property. That is to be protected and enjoyed by the owners alone, here being the husband and wife together. It is not to be a common space that is non-exclusive where others are welcome to enjoy it as well. Furthermore, in verse 17, Solomon warns his son that his springs and streams of water are for him alone and should not be shared with anyone else. What Solomon is describing is the need for his son to protect the purity of sexual intimacy with his wife. He is to keep his springs and streams of water to himself, meaning to enjoy them along with his wife alone. They are to remain faithful to their marriage covenant and to not defile it by seeking sexual intimacy with anyone else. Next, turning the aquatic metaphor one more time, Solomon offers a prayer wish for his son's fountain to be continually blessed. Again, the meaning of the son's fountain is not explicitly mentioned in the verse, but again, it likely refers to the son's sexual intimacy with his wife. Solomon tells him that he is to rejoice because of the sexual pleasure and gratification he can experience with the wife of his youth. Lastly, Solomon further encourages his son to be satisfied and enjoy sexual pleasure with his wife by using another metaphor combined with very provocative and erotic language. To begin, he calls his son's wife a loving doe and a graceful mountain goat. While in our modern ears, these terms may not sound very romantic, and perhaps even a little derogatory, calling a woman a doe or mountain goat today is likely going to get you slapped. But in the biblical culture, which was predominantly agrarian and valued the beauty of nature and closely observed the characteristics of animals, this type of imagery was considered very poetic and romantic. For example, in Song of Songs, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 say, Behold, you are beautiful, my darling. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is as a flock of goats that descend from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a newly shorn flock, which have come up from the washing, where every one of them has twins. None is bereaved among them. Your lips are like scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples are like a piece of pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like David's tower, built for an armory on which a thousand shields hang, all the shields of the mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns that are the twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. Solomon also speaks erotically of the wife's breasts in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 19 as well, when he tells his son, Let her breasts satisfy you at every opportune time, going astray in her love. The Hebrew actually says, Drink of her breasts at all times, where the Hebrew word translated drink means to be saturated and drenched thoroughly. 
Solomon is advocating that his son indulges in and becomes captivated by lovemaking with his wife. Even the Hebrew term translated going astray is suggestive of becoming intoxicated with love and for his son to, so to say, lose himself in that pleasure and enjoyment. In order to illustrate this section of Proverbs, I interviewed one of my friends, Bill Yaconis, who has been married to his wife, Mary Ann, for over 50 years. Bill has been a role model of a, a godly and faithful husband to my wife, Jen, and I. We have known Bill and Mary Ann for several years and have spent much time with them and learned a lot about how to build a healthy, strong marriage. I asked Bill to share on this episode a little about remaining faithful in marriage and honoring one's commitment before Yahweh. So, Bill, uh, welcome to Words of Wisdom podcast. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. So, Bill, how long have you been married to your wife, Mary Ann? Well, this August, it'll be 52 years. 52 years. Wow. That's like, what, uh, 90% of your life? Uh, pretty close. <laughs> and uh, how many kids <laughs> do you guys quite. have, and, and how many grandkids? We have two sons uh, who are both married and, uh, and four grandchildren. Uh, not to mention uh, seven grand fur pets. Ah, <laughs> uh, don't forget the fur pets. No. And out of your 52 years of marriage, how have those years been? Has have there been ups and downs or things been kind of mostly smooth sailing and pretty steady? Or how would you describe your marriage? Well, I would say it was uh, mostly smooth setting. There have been ups and there have been downs. But uh, we had a former mentor of ours tell us that when we were talking to them about some of our issues in our marriage, they said that, uh, told us that our ups, our very nice ups, and our downs are higher than most people's ups. <laughs> so we were very blessed to hear that. But, it, you know, a couple of times we've had some rough patches, but for the most part, it's been pretty smooth sailing. That's wonderful. You know, not every couple really has the same journey, and, and sometimes the the ups and downs occur at different times, and there are good seasons and bad seasons. Uh, I think that's I think that's what marriage consists of. But as you look back over the years of your marriage, was there any particular time that maybe you found it more difficult than other times, and and you faced temptation? Yes, there there was one particular time when Marianne and I were not seeing eye to eye on a number of things. Marianne was back in school pursuing a master's degree and an eventually a PhD degree in, in counseling, pastoral counseling. And uh, I was very involved in a, uh, in a job that was very demanding. It took an awful lot of my time, a lot more than the normal 40 hours a week. Plus, we, we did not see uh, eye to eye on the fellowship that we were attending at the time. I was very much into it, and Marianne was uh, very much questioning the leadership that existed in that fellowship. And uh, there was a lot of pressure brought to bear by that leadership to get Marianne to stop her uh, schooling. And, uh, you know, as I look back on it, uh, there, there, that pressure was more directed at our marriage rather than at Marianne stopping her schooling. Mm. So that, that was a tough time for us. And 
how did you how did you face that that challenge and and uh, in what ways uh, were you tempted and, and in what ways then did you were you able to face the temptations and overcome them in order to to remain faithful to Marianne? Well, we uh, we did a lot of talking. I did a lot of praying and uh, letting God work in my heart about the issues that were pressure was being applied to both of us about her schooling. And God very clearly showed me that what she was doing was the right thing, that she should be back in school, that this was something he was directing her to do, and that I should just shut up and go away about that particular issue. So I obeyed that advice. And, uh, you know, and once Marianne knew that I was not only giving her permission to be back in school, but supporting her, uh, and that we felt very much united along that front, uh, you know, we still didn't see eye to eye about attending the same fellowship, but at least we were united in withstanding the, the pressure that was being applied to our marriage at that point in time. So uh, that that's pretty much uh, what I did, of course, I was still embroiled in that particular job. Uh, that was taking a lot of time, uh, but but I was able to pull away from that and spend more time with Marianne and uh, less time worrying about the job and my career. Well, it seems that what helped you be successful was uh, the communication, coming back together and talking things over with with Marianne and uh, coming to understand that you guys uh, were on the same team, you guys could support each other through it. And even if you did have disagreements, it was it was not caused to allow further division between you guys. Uh, very thankful to hear that you guys were able to resolve that and that those external pressures didn't continue to build. Yeah, and, and a couple of other things that were working in my heart was I, I remembered the commitment, the promise that I made not only to Marianne, but to my Heavenly Father that I would stay faithful to my wife as long as I was alive. And, you know, remembering that commitment helped me. I spent, as I said, I've spent a lot of time in prayer and, you know, listening to what God told me to do, not only in the area of Marianne's schooling, but in other areas as well. And uh, as I obeyed what God was telling me to do, that external pressure, while it was still there, it was not having anywhere near the impact that it initially did. I'm sure that that um, particular incident is just one of many that you and Marianne faced together and and you were able to overcome and not allow the temptation to uh, produce uh, further issues in your marriage. Now, throughout the 52 years that you've been married and have been faithful to your wife, how has that then resulted in certain blessings in your life? because you were faithful. You know, the first blessing that comes to mind is my wife has kept me for these 52 years. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that, Bill? Uh, well, you know, all of us have uh, warts. We all have shortcomings. Sure do. And I, yeah. I definitely have my share. Uh, and as I look back over our marriage, there are some things that I would do differently to uh, help bless my wife more. But I have been thoroughly blessed with my uh, with my wife. Uh, number one, that she has stayed with me and supported me. But uh, number two, uh, that she's been such a wonderful mother to our two sons. And uh, you know, number three, that she's such a strong believer. Those aren't in any order of priority, but you know, it it's really helpful 
knowing that your spouse, that she is endeavoring to love God with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength and love her neighbor as herself. And I have the same uh, frame of mind. That's how we want to live our lives. And we're both servants at heart. We both reach out to serve and to help others in, in any way that we, we can. So that joint attitude of service has really helped our, our marriage to be very blessed. Oh, that's that's a that's a great piece of advice uh, to find ways to serve alongside your spouse. Now, in those fifty-two years, also, I'm sure there were some interesting moments uh, where things happened in ways that you uh, maybe didn't expect them, and or something happened, and uh, you later realized that it uh, was a little bit of a, a blooper. Do you have any kind of a incident, like a funny story, maybe from your all your years of marriage that you remember that you'd be willing to share? Yeah, I do. You know, uh, Marianne has often mentioned to me that I have billisms. I have a way of saying things that to me, they sound perfectly normal to the person I'm saying them to. They are very offensive. <laughs> billisms. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a cute name. Right. What is, a, what, what is one of the billisms that you remember? When we were first married, I did a lot of traveling, and I, but I always came home in the middle of the week and on Wednesdays, spent Wednesday night at home, and then Thursday morning traveled back to wherever the work site was. And uh, this one evening, Marianne made a, a wonderful London broil for dinner. I had no idea at the time what London broil was. So as she's pulling it out of the broiler, uh, she pours this pink sauce all over it, and in, in an attempt to say, Gee, what is that called? I said, gee, what kind of a dinner do you call that? And, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I, I mean, you've been oh, newly man. married, uh, Jerry, so I'm sure you, you realize saying so something like those words uh, really, they, they drove Marianne right into tears. <laughs> yeah, you need to take foot out of mouth. <laughs> right, that's right. So I had to remove my foot from my mouth and then uh, try to explain exactly what I was trying to ask. So that that's kind of an example of uh, of uh, of billism. Well, that's pretty funny. Yeah, I think we all can probably relate to sort of saying something that makes sense in our mind, but then when it comes out of our mouth, it's like, oh, that's not what I really meant. Uh, that's that is correct. Well, lastly, here, Bill, before we conclude, I just wanted to know. Have you ever called Marianne a loving doe and a graceful mountain goat? Uh, I have not, and I would not, as long as she was within arm's reach of me. <laughs> you know, but uh, I'm familiar with that verse. And, you know, what, what that verse makes me think of uh, when I think of Marianne is uh, Marianne is one who loves to have fun. She likes to be in the middle of uh, the the funnest people at parties, and she likes to laugh and enjoy times like that. And that's what I think of when I think of the loving doe. You know, just just a playmate, someone who loves to play and have fun uh, together and horse around. Uh, the other part of that, the graceful mountain goat. I think of, of an animal that is very sure-footed, even on the most difficult of terrain. And that certainly is, is Marianne. No matter what's going on around her, uh, she is always trusting God to show her the, the way to navigate that most difficult terrain. Mm -hmm. So while I wouldn't call her those 
names uh, to her face. Uh, I definitely see how her life uh, repre represents both of those animals. So Marianne is your loving doe and graceful mountain goat, but maybe not quite in those terms. Absolutely. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> well, Bill, um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I'm so thankful to uh, have you and Marianne uh, in Jen and My Life and for the example that you have modeled for us of being faithful and being satisfied in our spouse. Well, thank you very much again for having me, Jerry. And you and Jen are welcome to come visit anytime. We would like that. I really appreciate Bill's testimony and honesty about there being good times and bad times in a marriage. The Apostle Paul wrote that those who marry will face many troubles in this life. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28. But there are also many joys in marriage that can't be experienced anywhere else. Nothing is guaranteed to remain the same forever, though. If you're struggling in your marriage, things can get better. And if things seem pretty good right now in your marriage, be careful and don't take it for granted. Every married person should view their spouse as the one whom God has given them to love and to care for, regardless of whatever else is going on or has happened. If there is trouble in the marriage, satisfaction isn't to be found outside of the marriage. That will only end in bitterness and death. Rather, let us go astray in our spouse's love and to offer ourselves as means by which they can experience the beauty and challenge of God's design for man and woman to be united together as one flesh. This is the wisdom of the proverb. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Words of Wisdom podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be so appreciative if you would share this podcast with your friends. And if you have been blessed by this work, please consider supporting the podcast by clicking on the donation link in the description.